Mr. Hollis Podcast coming out here in these streets. The Avenue 5 Podcast. Y'all gonna want that podcast. Most definitely. I like that. Exactly. Welcome to another Wednesday's episode of After 5, the podcast with me and the homeboy Drew. Fabian's out traveling the world doing what he do. Today, we have Darian Bruce. Now, if you don't know who Darian Bruce is, he is the executive producer of DJ Session. He's known for a truly bringing a truly unique concept to the table. He has many years of experience in TV broadcasting, and he has a love for the nightlife. Me too. Something we share in common. He currently directs and produces over 12 events per month. Darian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on the show today. Wow. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Drew. Oh, I was saying, hey, listen, Darren, we're, we're, we're happy to have you on. And, you know, we kind of want to get right into it, man. Tell us about your background and, you know, uh, exactly how you got to where you're at today, Darren. Absolutely. Um, it's a funny story that my career, I say, started 42 years ago. Um, I picked up my first video camera when I was six years old. My dad bought it. I wasn't allowed to play with it. At that time in 1979, 1980, you know, a $1,000 video camera probably would have been $5,000 today. So, uh, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to play with a video camera, but I was allowed to play with the VCR. And my dad kind of lavished technology on us in the sense of things like we get something new. It'd be like, Darren, go learn how to hook it up. Go learn how to put this together. So I kind of, I wasn't afraid of technology as a kid growing up. We didn't ever be, really become a computer household, but as far as tech went, connecting wires, cables, I like to jump back there, put things together and hit the power button, turn it on. And then the entertainment goes and starts coming out. Well, that's the one thing I liked about the VCR. And back then, you know, you could watch movies over and over and over again. And so you know, my movies that I loved growing up and that we'd sometimes record and, and then I could watch them over again were, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, you know, um, basically anything that was on, we would always set the VCR to record the movie and then we'd have it later to watch over and over again. But uh, I started playing with the video camera, having fun with that. And later on in high school, I took the world's I'm not the world. I'm sorry. The, the state, our state, Washington state had the first ever video production course in a high school program. So I took that class in my senior year of high school, loved it. Of course, I kind of had a lot of fun with it and was way more kind of advanced in the things than other kids were because other parents wouldn't let their kids play with video cameras. And it wasn't just something that was out there that kids just got thousand dollar cameras and run around the block with, you know, and did crazy stuff with. So uh, right out of high school, I went to work on a public access television show called The Cool Out Network. And um, that was kind of a very interesting experience. I, I quickly became a production assistant, uh, got into helping distribute the show in two different counties. So we had regional distribution because in 1992, that's about all you had for distribution, unless you have right. the ability to make a broadcast television show and put it on. But in order to be broadcast television, it has to be FCC compliant, which means you have to have FCC grade cameras or beta cameras. And those cameras back then, well, they're a pretty penny still now to get a, a decent beta cam. So worked on that show for about eight years, had an opportunity to work on a, um, 
a, a talk show, a late night talk show in the year 2000 and basically went from over glorified production assistant to associate producer overnight. This was going to be a show going on broadcast television, late night show. I'm like, and I got, I worked one week on the show doing the first pilot episode and got paid $1,800. And I was like, you know what? I finally got paid. I finally got a credit that I want. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. Now, of course I had jobs and all that <laughs> all over these years, but that set a bug in my ear that, I took my last $800 of that and I went to school to learn how to run. The purpose was to go to school to learn how to run a business, get a business degree so I could open up a production company. And I, I walked away from that talk show because they wouldn't offer me contracts and I wanted to do it the right way and be in the industry the right way. So um, I produced my first broadcast television show a year after I was in college and launched it to Fox, um, the Fox, Fox, the local market here in Seattle called phantasmagoria then out of phantasmagoria we created another couple shows image nightlife and northwest extreme sports made had pilot episodes for those but then i realized this is probably 2003 actually up to about 2004 ish i started to realize i didn't want to make websites logos branding all this stuff for three different brands of shows i wanted it all under one umbrella and growing up in the MTV generation and watching MTV start out, I wanted something that had three letters as well. So I sat down with my producer. I got a new producer in 2005. This time I was working for Apple. And uh, I sat back and said, you know what? This is going to be too much branding, three separate shows. Let's get an umbrella name and, and, and go with that. And we should be able to figure this out between us. We're pretty smart guys. And so I sat back and said, well, what do we do? We feature independent artists and businesses and we put them on TV, independent TV, right. ITV, and boom, it was like a light bulb went off, ITV. All of a sudden, Phantasmagoria became ITV short films. Northwest Extreme Sports became ITV Sports. Uh, Image Nightlife, ITV Nightlife. We came up with five more concepts of shows going comedy, fashion, live music, um, video games. I always forget one of them when I try naming them all off, but it was so long ago. But basically we now had the ITV umbrella, one logo to rule them all, one right. brand to rule them all, one website to put them all out on. And at the time, YouTube was just getting started. And so we saw YouTube as kind of people talking to their webcam like this. And we said, we're a broadcast show. We're looking for millions of dollars. And speaking of though, because we had known how to get the shows approved on the network stations, we took those eight pilot episodes and ended up getting them approved to air on 12 network stations on the West Coast. And when I say that not just the eight pilots, like that was a series, eight separate television shows to air on 12 network stations on the West Coast approved. Now, of course, us being an independent production company, um, basically, we had to find all the money for it. Studios weren't necessarily picking us up. We were a variety show. It was nice. We could have knocked on those doors, but it would have been very dangerous, dangerous for us to do so because we could have had our ideas stolen like, like that. Like, oh, that's a really great variety show targeting the 18 to 30 year olds in the local market. Hey, we can produce that in-house. Screw these guys and let's sell our sponsors on it and take our idea and run with it. So anyways, what happened is YouTube came around and we saw YouTube is kind of like, yeah, 
We wanted something like Broadcast Tube, something like Hulu that we could sell this series to because we weren't necessarily just a Pacific Northwest Seattle brand, even though that's where we were based from. We missed out on the YouTube thing, didn't look at it. But while we were working for Apple, the buzzword podcast started coming around. But it wasn't until late 2005 that the video iPod came out. That was a game changer for us because we were not an audio-based show. We were a video-based show. So we didn't see any value of making a podcast at the time because making a video file, I mean, our video files are huge and we'd have to shrink them down to a certain size. We finally figured out once the video iPod came out, we figured out how to get our shows down to like 87 megabytes and still retain quality of looking good on an iPod video and uh, still looking okay on a, on a desktop as well. But um, what happened then is I made a few phone calls into Apple because I got that secret magic backdoor access inside the company to figure out who's who and uh, pitched it to the guy who was in charge of the iTunes, the curation of the iTunes store of what approved to go into the, the podcast. It was just a list of podcasts at the time. And he said, Darren, I like what you got. I can't tell you what's happening, but go back and look at the iTunes store on Thursday. And this is a Tuesday. And I said, okay. So I come back on Thursday and I look at the new iTunes store comes out. New and improved iTunes store. It had a podcast section. In the podcast section, it broke it down by the kind of podcast it was. And they put a video podcast section in there. We debuted in that section at number 48 out of 50. With everyone buying the new iPod video, with us being, where do we get videos now to put on our iPods? Because the TV deals really hadn't come out yet. They flocked to that video podcast section. We went from 1,000 downloads, 5,000 downloads, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, 300,000 downloads a week. Now everyone's sitting here going, great, this is success. We made it. We broke through. Now the big question was is, how do we get paid for this? Because there is no monetization of a podcast in any way, shape, or form. So we're sitting here kind of like, well, how are you getting paid? How are you getting paid? And everyone's like, we ain't getting paid. We're just getting downloads. And we're like, how do we convert that? And how do you prove it? Because in, in television, there's Nielsen ratings, and it's a third-party company. They go out and they take a sample of the market, and they, they do samples and poll and say, well, this is what we think are watching the markets. There was none of that for podcasting. And we hadn't built an online brand where we were grabbing emails. Now we know better. You grab emails of subscribers and saying, hey, subscribe to this and you get a gift or subscribe to this. So you get an email database and then you can kind of say, hey, we're sending out a target demographic letter. Tell us what your age is, where you live, maybe income. And thank you for completing this. It's helping. We didn't have none of that crap in place, you know, because we were realizing we were in still in that broadcast television mindset of getting the, the data from the Nielsen and from the networks. So take that 2005 and set the clock forward to 2007. I started dabbling in live streaming, working for a company, set the way forward clock to 2009. I was at winter music conference and this guy, DJs I'm staying with, hang, we're hanging out and he talks to me, he says, Hey, Darren, have you ever heard of this company called Ustream? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And I had looked into doing streaming because I ran internet radio stations on my server out of my house. And I knew what the bandwidth cost that that was just for audio, let alone video. And he's like, yeah, it's this company. You can stream live for free. You stream. And I'm like, no, there has to be a catch. There's no way they're going to let you stream live for free. Bandwidth alone. No, I get YouTube now. 
and how they run commercials and they were advertising, monetizing that, but no. So I looked into Ustream over the course of that year. You can actually go back and watch some of these first videos. I was started doing the YouTube thing on Ustream, but was streaming live. And here's Facebook's just really coming out and hit the masses as well. So I'd go live in my house and I'd be testing the platform out, but I'd be live on Facebook. And lo and behold, a few months later, one of my friends comes up and I had been bouncing around the idea of doing the DJ sessions uh, to nightclubs and DJs. Like, what would you think? What would you want to do? How would this work? I'll produce it. And these are the first live streaming talks of producing a live streaming DJ show. It really wasn't out there at the time. And there were some people that knew the platform, some people, people doing DJ shows, but I'm talking doing DJs, interviews, back in, featuring multiple DJs. It wasn't the Darren, I'm the DJ show. I'm the producer featuring other DJs on the show. My buddy calls me up and says, one night out of the blue, he says, Darren, I'm coming over. I got two bottles of wine. I'm coming over. We're doing the DJ sessions. I said, okay. So I set up a camera on me, uh, looking at me this way, over my shoulder. He was over my shoulder. I had another camera looking down on him and his laptop. And I had the switcher right next to me. And I go, we're going live, DJ sessions. First hour of the show, we're sitting there. We're drinking wine. We got our headsets on. We're in my apartment. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Facebooking, yeah, 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 yeah. I get up to go to the bathroom and I take my headsets off. It's completely dead silent in my apartment. I go, wait a second, put my headsets back. Like, wait. and I'm looking at the chat room. The chat room's going, I'm like, take my headsets off. Completely silent in my apartment. I go, this is weird. I feel like I'm in a nightclub right now, but I'm in a nightclub online chatting with people. They're watching the show. Whoa. Okay. And then it really just clicked in my head. So the next week I moved the show into my bedroom, the new studio. And literally my, my bed was like a foot and a half off the DJ booth. And we had the studio and we started doing shows out of my bedroom. And uh, earlier that year, when I was at winter music conference, I had had the chance to interview a very, very, very well-known DJ by the name of Dave Dresden or Dresden and Gabriel. And I heard he was coming into town. This is like November, 2009. And I reached out to his PR people. I said, Hey, can we get Dave to come by the show and do an interview with us and, and maybe play a set? And they're like, sure. Dave said, yes. So I'm like, here I am getting Dave Dresden to come by and literally play my bedroom. And mind you, my, my, my apartment was more like an over glorified studio apartment but it had like a wall with slide in between the bedroom and the, 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 the living room, but I always kept it open. So Dave Dresden's playing in my apartment. I got about 14, 15 people there. I'm sitting there going, I have one of the world's most famous DJs playing my bedroom. He's doing what? He's picking up my cat. He's bringing my cat over the decks. He's bringing my cat on the show. And they, I'm like, this is pure comedy gold. I've never, I'd never seen anything like it. And so right there, I'm like, now we're on to something. And kind of the rest has been a progression in building the brand and getting us to where we're at now. We had a great partnership with Ustream. Uh, back then, we were a featured partner. Set the way forward clock nine years later to when we had to move away from live stream because they got bought out by IBM. I went and knocked on the doors of Twitch and said, hey, Twitch, I got this brand. We're looking for a new home. Um, what can you do for us? The content curator there at that time, he moved on to bigger and better things within Twitch, said, I love the brand. Guess what? You're onboarded automatically as a featured partner on Twitch. 
I went, okay, because if you see what it takes to become a feature partner, it is not easy. Number two, he goes, um, uh, hey, we want to put you on the front page of Twitch as well. I went, what? So about a month went by and our first real live stream on Twitch, our first major live stream went to the front page of Twitch. I didn't know what to expect, um, but let's just say we had 2,700 viewers within like five minutes. The oh, chat wow. is going crazy. It's go, I mean, we're, we're in position number eight on the front page of Twitch. Later on, I find out, I'm like, hey, can we get back to the front page? And he goes, Darren, the truth is we reserve those spots for people and they usually pay somewhere from 50 to $100,000 to get those wow. spots. And they just kind of gave it to us. And I'm like, damn. And we were the first ever live, well, not one of the first live streaming featured partner DJ shows on Twitch. At that moment, it got really real for me. So it came back and we had to get version two of the website. And I'll talk about the version three in a minute. But we had to get version two of the website up and running, make sure our socials were dialed in. And if you see our trend on, because you can go back and see our stats on, on Twitch, we kind of just dipped off for like, 2018 and almost had like nothing for night. And then we started popping back up in 19 when I got things kind of rolling. It took about a year to just make sure our brand was ready to go. And we came back into late 19 talking with Twitch saying, Hey, we're ready to go. We want to come back to the front page of the site. Da, 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 da. Was dealing with a new music team there. They came back in and said, well, it's cool that we can put you to the front page of the website. Well, we got to do something about your licensing. I said, what do you mean about a licensing? They said, well, you got 450 videos here with red flags all over them. Ooh. And if we put you to the front page of our website, it's going to attract the attention of Universal, Sony, BMG, all the major record labels. And while we know you can clear for live streaming, got all these past episodes here that they can come back and get you for. Not only that, you got 1,300 episodes on your website. You they could probably come back and get you for all of those too. And I'm like, Shit. okay, so what I do? So I had to go, I was cleaning up the Twitch page to make sure we were ready to go. This turns into about January, February, 2020. We're like, okay, here we go. Everybody in the world jumps online. You know, the mass explosion of that thing that happened last year that I look back and was really positive because now I didn't have to explain to everyone what Twitch was, but there was a little reason why that happened. We won't talk about that. Right. But I let, at that moment, everyone started coming back to me going, how do I do this? What cameras do I get? You're the guy, you've been doing this for so long. You've been podcasting, you've been live streaming. Uh, what do I do? How do I get around copyright? And all these questions. I mean, it was just being inundated that I actually said, you know what? This is not the right time to launch our brand. We're just gonna be lost in the clutter with everyone else. I, I've seen these kind of upticks happen before where everyone jumps on the bandwagon. They're not really in it. I know when this certain little thing that I won't talk about goes away, they're going to jump off the bandwagon. But the explosion of live streamers, the explosion of podcasts, I mean, there were, they said that podcast numbers doubled or tripled in, in content creation. Same with live streamers. Everyone's just jumping online and a lot of people not understanding the medium or, or it had any brand development. They just, I'm online. Look at me on Facebook. Every other message you saw on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram was look at me, look at me, look at me. I called it the look at me years and <laughs> nobody had brand development. They didn't have a website. They didn't have their socials in place. They didn't know what to do. And then they didn't understand 
if you go live at six o'clock at night, when all the A-list celebrities are going on, that's like saying, I'm going live on prime time Thursday night, this show airs, and or I'm going live during the Super Bowl. That's what happened. I'm going live during the Super Bowl. And all my audience is watching the Super Bowl. And they're like, how come nobody's watching me? Well, you went live during the Super Bowl. You don't go live during the Super Bowl if you want people to watch you, unless your audience is not the Super Bowl audience. Okay, Hallmark, you know, okay, go put your channel on the Hallmark. <laughs> Do that. And they didn't understand that. And so I just like took a really big step back and was kind of like, we're going to sit on this. We're going to just sit for a minute. Came around to 2021. We started seeing things kind of come back. I said, okay. And one of my DJs comes to me and says, hey, Darren, I know we want to launch the brand. A bunch of cool stuff's going. Uh, but what's up with the website? And I went, what do you mean what's up with the website? It's a cool website. You can go back and use the Wayback Machine and, and look up the DJSessions.com. See what version two was like pretty much from 20, end of 2020 back to 2018. You can even use the Wayback Machine and go look what the website looked, our version one of the website going back to 2013 if you want to. So he comes to me and says, what's up with the website? I build websites. I, I also build websites, but he's like, I built websites. It's kind of booty ghetto, man. It ain't really that good. And I'm like, this is why I have an open door policy. I appreciate feedback from my team. I said, okay, I'll get us a new website. I spent the next three and a half months with my dev team. I have five different dev people building out this website, getting it up and running, finally really getting ready to launch. And boom, we launched it. Happy. I looked at it and go, this is the Ferrari in the garage. And we were dealing with the Honda Accord over here. Nothing against Honda Accords, but we got the Ferrari now. Now it's ready to go. Now it's ready to blast off. I had a team in place. We had events ready to go. Everything's scheduled. And we we're just ready to start kicking some booty, you know, and, and moving forward. Set the way clock forward to just a few months ago, getting my team dialed in. And now that we're ready to move forward, we're taking the brand and making an, an international name, an internationally known name. It's not that we were so local. We were always doing things on an international level, but our focus, our PR was not that. And leading up to now having, I have a team in UK. I got a team in Thailand. I got a team in the States out of New York that helped me curate and get interviews and work with people to get all different aspects of the back end of the stuff that goes on. I still need a bigger team. I'm still looking for more team members. But um, one of the biggest things we're looking to ramp up to, or basically we just ramped up our, our, um, our outreach by 800%. So what we were doing before, if we were getting like 10 interviews a month and, and some guest mixes, I just looked at my schedule yesterday. I was talking to my girlfriend and, sa and said, wow, I just cleared my emails. I have 43 orange flags over the next three and a half weeks. That's 43 interviews and guest mixes and stuff coming in over the next few weeks. We plan to be at 100 hours plus of content by the end of the year going into 2023 with over 100 to two, with over 180 to 200 hours of content a month being generated, whether it's interviews, guest mixes, all that down the line. Uh, but then um, also we're launching a label, a record label to come 2023, but our biggest push is to go to the Amsterdam dance event or ADE festival in Amsterdam this year, 400,000 people a day, all industry related for seven days, 400,000 people a day for seven days in little old Amsterdam. And it's whoever's who, who 
hits who's who in the industry goes to this one. And we're kind of making a big splash there to go, here we are, we're on the map. Who wants to work with us? Da-da-da, there's a story. Wow. <laughs> that is awesome. Man, you did a lot. <laughs> now, well, I say, didn't get it. Uh, what? Now, when you talk about Amsterdam, or is it just podcasters or just DJs that goes to this? Who, it's who it's the Amsterdam dance event, and it's primarily surrounds electronic music. I'd say electronic music as a whole, but uh, electronic dance music, um, DJs, producers, promoters, labels. It is the one that they say, if you want to meet who's who, if you want to talk to who's who, if you want to network, this is the one you go to. And when is that event again? This is in October, October 18th through the 25th. Um, I've already booked my Airbnb. And, you know, we're super excited for it because we're making a lot of contacts now. And because we're positioned to make a lot of contacts now. And positioning and branding is really key for what you're doing with a brand and and making sure you are networking and shaking the hands or talking to the right people. Um, Networking is one of the the keyest things you can do because you can go a brand and you can push it and do so much. I've learned this so many times and, and, and hit a brick wall and have burned myself out trying to do everything myself. And, you know, that just happens to the, to the best of us. You only have so many hours in the day to sleep you only have so many hours in the day to eat, so many other hours in the day to do interviews. So, you know, you, you got to kind of start bringing on team members. And the one hardest thing to do is when it's your baby is handing off your baby to somebody else and let them represent you and your baby. And it's like, oh, why did you say that in an email? No, you shouldn't answer it like that. And you got to kind of still work with people, but, you know, dialing it in. But putting together a great team can help. And, and having somebody when you're ready to do it, when you're ready to do it, bring it on somebody that can handle PR, just doing a little outreach can, can work wonders, you know, or looking at what your PR agenda is going to be. Cause a lot of people just do interviews, do it. I mean, I'm here, this is a PR opportunity for me, you know, of getting, and, and getting what I do in front of your audience. That's what we do on the DJ session. We get people in front of our audience, an audience that may know about them. They may not know anything about them. And so, you know, that's why our new approach is kind of to broaden our, broaden our scope to talk to more industry professionals and, and listen to what their insights, what their tips, what their tricks, what they suggest, what the flow of the industry is going because music changes. It ain't years ago, it went from whatever it was and then rock and roll started. And then the 60s started and then the 70s started and disco came out and then 80s and the synth wave started and then 90s. I don't know what that shit was about. Then 2000s, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, you know, and then this electronic music kind of boom happened. And there's oh, there's so many different genres of electronic music as well that happen. It's always kind of changing and there's always something happening. And I just had a passion for electronic music when I went to my first dance music club electronic music club when I was 18 years old. I fell in love with the genre, the the energy that was there on the floor. Um, like I said, I kind of grew up, I, I kind of grew up listening to hip hop, to rap music. While all my friends were listening to rock music and Guns N' Roses and stuff, I gravitated towards Run DMC, UTFO. You know, um, my brother got me into Too Short in 1990. You know, when I was up in, when I was rolling, with my, I had a Cadillac with two 15s in the back that I'd roll through my hood, you know, but when I wanted to go to the city with my friends, we went to the dance clubs, 
You know, I mean, we'd say we, there were still crossover. We all listened to hip hop and rap, but it was the dance clubs that was kind of underground. You know, it wasn't popular and you're in this club and, and girls are like taking half their clothes off and people are dancing in this. They them rave clubs back in the yeah, day. Yeah, raves. I mean, it was kind of raves. That, that was very, you didn't see that a lot in the top 40 music clubs. I mean, you saw people more dressing up, bling, bling, what's up, you know, when, when I was When I was in the Air Force, I went to, I uh, was stationed in Wichita Falls for a little while. And they that's pretty much all they played in Wichita Falls, Texas. Drew, I don't know if you went there or not. Yeah, I've been there before. Wichita. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in Wichita, they big with the techno, electronic music. Right. So, yeah, I've, I've had my time in some electronic clubs. Yeah, and, and just the, the vibe was much different than what I saw in other nightclub experiences that I'd gone to, that I just started gravitating towards that, started meeting the DJs, promoters, hanging out with my friends that became promoters and the VIP rooms, getting backstage, going to the after parties. You know, there's a lot of fun to it. You got to be careful. A lot of people get addicted to that fun and can go down a bad path. Uh, But, you know. Now, as you speak on your friends, how did you meet DJ Sessions? I am DJ Sessions. Oh, so, you know, I was looking at the website and because it's it's like speaking in third person third person yeah so i was <laughs> trying to put that together and i thought that i'm like is he not dj sessions and what did they talk about it so i'm glad you cleared that up let, let, let me tell you first of all i'm not a dj it's kind of there because everyone asks me oh you do a dj show what kind of genres do you spin and I, I know they're directing and asking me, what do I play? And I'm like, I'm not a DJ. I'm the executive producer of the show. I mm-hmm. feature DJs on the show. I don't know how to DJ. I'm never going to learn how to DJ. I don't have enough time to learn how to DJ. And let alone, even if I did, I could probably be pretty good at it. But again, it goes back to, I don't have time to learn. I used to interview DJs, and this is in the first go round. And I'd be like, I'd say, how many hours a week do you spend curating your mix to play at one show? They go, well, I'll spend 20 hours a week looking through tracks, another four curating the mix just for a one hour set. And I got 24 hours a week to do something like this on top of a job and a life and want to do other things. And I commend that. So I just said, so you do you bring a badass mix to the show. Let me worry about making a badass show. And then the synergy was there. They didn't have to worry about getting cameras and lighting gear and streaming and talking online and socials and promotions just let us handle that at the dj sessions and 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 we'll support you and you support us by bringing the content so the dj sessions actually got started just a few months ago or actually i should say the dj sessions (laughs) right um um was i just thought it was kind of funny because uh one of my djs didn't show up for a show one night and I had to quickly get up on stage. My client's paying us. And I'm like, we're doing a show here. I'm not going to say, oh, my DJ didn't show up, so we're not going to play. So I went and grabbed the mix off YouTube, pressed the play button, and just kind of stood up there and was like. That was cool. The crowd is like, yeah. And I filmed myself and streamed myself live. Funny enough, with that first stream, I took number four in the world on Twitch. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's kind of an in, internal joke, like a faux pas. I might as well add myself to the DJ lineup because if you read the actual definition, sorry, I'm off screen here, but give me a second. Um, the, the, 
the definition of, or I should say my bio, which like you said, it might be a little confusing, um, was, let's, let's get this in here because this is some funny stuff. <laughs> Even my, my, my own resident DJs laugh every time I put this from. So the DJ Sessions is the DJ's DJ. He's not a DJ. He just plays one on live streams. <laughs> You know, born into a video world, but never wanting to kill the radio star, the DJ Sessions found a passion for mixing video with one of his other passions, music, at a young age. While never actually spinning a record, putting in a disc, or loading songs onto a flash drive, the DJ Sessions has become a conduit for serving music to the masses. He has spent thousands of, thousands of hours behind the decks watching how others do the magic of DJing, so it was only natural for him to get into the mix. Quote, pressing play to play other people, pressing play is the biggest honor, and playing other sets music is what I do best, better than anybody. I get to share the sets and the music that make me dance and have a good time with others, and that's worth millions in exposure bucks, something no DJ can live without. When he's not producing the wildly popular Twitch featured partner DJ show, The DJ Sessions, you can find The DJ Sessions cooking up a storm in the kitchen, being a foodie. Oh, kick, uh, cooking up a storm in the kitchen. Being a foodie is his second favorite passion in the world. He hopes that through cooking and music, he can help others to eat, have fun, and dance. Check out, check out his energetic sets and also the DJs that he features when he plays. You won't be disappointed. Oh man, we gotta get you on. Hey, he sounded like he was doing the radio, man. You got a great voice for that. I know he does. He does. Yeah, that was perfect. You know, it's funny. My mom always wondered if I should become. Uh, this is yo. Know, was a kid. A kid never even thought really. I think about being in the business. She says, "Have you ever thought about going into being like a jazz radio? You know, like that late night." And now you're listening to the sounds of KX103 Jazz for you. You know, I'm like, no, mom, what are you talking about? <laughs> My voice is a little hoarse. I had a little cold going awesome. on. But, but yeah, I mean, it took time to to my first take that I ever did when I first air, did one of my shows back in like 2005. It wasn't even this brand. I did 64 takes on the 30, 30 second intro. And um, then I stopped counting because I wanted to hit it perfect. So what you that was I mean, there was a couple little mix ups there, but. Um, but that's live. And that's what I love right. about live is that anything goes, you mess up, just roll with it. Anything goes, going. just go with it. Just keep going. Whereas I used to try to get so perfect broadcast shows. Hey, do another take, do another take, you know, just take it live. And here we go raw on the ground. And if you look at the content that's being created out there now with everyone with a phone in their hand, and it's all live, 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 me, 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 look at me, do, 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 Facebook, TikTok, all that. They're not putting up professional studios, right? You know, I, I tell this to people all the time. You know, when they're um, when they're when they're starting out in podcasting, they're like, "Well, what kind of gear should I buy? How much money should I spend?" I said, "Do you have a phone?" They go, "Yes." And don't buy anything. Do you have a computer? Do you have a laptop with a webcam? Don't buy. Well, two things I'll tell them to buy. I got a really great mic from Mackie because they're our sponsor. I love them. I got a $50 light panel that I use. It's adjustable light panel, battery operative. If I want it. 
The only reason I'm getting a good pull is because I just bought a green screen finally for 80 bucks that I got set up behind me and I got my logo back behind me. You don't need any more than that. Your first 50 episodes, just make 50 episodes, then look to start spending some money. But a little bit of lighting, some decent audio, a $50 Bluetooth mic, and a little bit of a backdrop, even if it's a sheet, a black sheet you're just going to put up. I was talking to a guy today. He had a one of those Soji screens, you know, that you put up and separate separate a room with it. You can fold out. He just put that up behind him. Hey, you can go with these things, but it doesn't have to be so funny. You guys got green screen on. You know what's happening. You got the logo back there. And then, and then the biggest thing is, is knowing your content, knowing what you want to produce. Find out what you want to talk about. Finding a subject out there. Researching that subject. Knowing that subject. Then finding other people that know more about that subject than you do or their professionals in the industry and talking with them about that subject. And then making sure you're publishing your shows in a timely manner. Right. If you interview somebody, don't wait three months to publish the show. It's, it's old news. It's lost its social, it's lost its social appeal. It's lost its, its, its uptick. Try to get your episodes out in a timely manner. If somebody comes in like, Hey, we're gonna episode you, but or we're gonna do an episode with you, but we're not gonna release it until September. <laughs> Everything I'm talking about today don't matter in September. I mean, let's you know. So let's let's. You want to do kind of current events, easily digestible current event shows. I try to keep all my shows less than an hour or just about an hour. I feel that's kind of a long enough car drive into work, double kind of thing. Uh, I feel that sometimes. I used to do a lot of backstage interviews and I'd have celebrity artists for, you know, seven, maybe 10 minutes backstage. You can't get anything in seven to 10 minutes. Hi, how you doing? Great to see you tonight. And they're already in party mode, getting ready for the stage. When I sit down and I'm doing my zoom interviews now and talking to them, I get them for an hour. I get 12, 15, sometimes 17 questions in. I get to do research on them before the show and bring that in and, ask them questions. And one of the best things I love is when they say, that's a good question. Yeah. Wow. That's really hard. I, I don't know how to answer that. Like it's almost like nobody's ever asked me that before, you know? So know your subject, but it's really easy to jump into this. I, I encourage if people do have an idea, look into it, get started, maybe even sit down, practice your intro, practice your outro, maybe write a script. People say, Oh, you're so good at this. I used to have scripts for this stuff. I don't need scripts anymore because I've done it a thousand times. You know, I can improv now with this stuff. So um, the floor is yours. I kind of, I hope I, I hope that answers questions. And <laughs> You're I, I, fine. You're I doing can talk fine. forever. You're doing fine. Hi. Cool. What's next? Oh, no, I mean, you, you, uh, you kind of uh, brought out, you know, how you, what you do as far as uh, executive producing and was talking about, you know, kind of what somebody needed to get started. Um, I guess, you know, uh, one of my questions would be, you know, uh, who, who did you look up to in order to, you know, kind of get to this point? You know, that's a question that nobody ever asks me. No, I mean, literally nobody ever asked me. It's so funny because growing up, you know, a lot of people, they aspire, a lot of television producers don't get the credit that, they, that film producers get. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, 
uh, my some of my favorites, Ivan Reitman, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. You know, it's the big Grammys, Oscars, Oscars. Who won the best producer of the year? And, you know, TV doesn't doesn't get that sometimes. So I grew up and I wanted to do TV as a medium. A lot of people don't say, I want to grow up and be a TV producer. Everyone wants to be a film star. You go to college, you become a film major. You study film school. Nobody goes to college and says, I'm learning how to run a company so I can produce TV shows. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. So uh, Lauren Michaels from, uh, from, from NBC, he does Saturday Night Live. Aaron Spelling, 90210, Saved by the Bell. You know, those were executive producers of, of shows, long-running shows, syndicated shows. They had other spinoffs and things like that. But um, I always liked the episodic nature of things because it brought you back next week. Right. What was hot this week? What's hot this week? You watch a movie, it's that movie, it's in a can, and it's there forever locked. Unless you're Lucasfilm, you come back and remake Star Wars all over again. Yeah, and add in other things that weren't there in the original version. Okay. From one episode, it doesn't make sense to another. Yeah. Okay, I was lost. Right? So, I mean, you know, as, as an episode, it's like constantly there. It's always going to be coming, you know, and something's happening. So, I found TV to be a medium. I'd say Giorgio Brown, the first producer I worked with, he really was a mentor. He, he more or less wasn't so much a mentor as he was kind of a big brother, but he also put up with a lot of my ish. You know, a lot of, like, I was, I, I, I could be a smart ass little punk, you know? And when I say punk, I mean, I wasn't like a smart, ass trying to pick fights and do stuff. I was just very, I was a small kid. I was quick witted, you know? So I could kind of, if I didn't have my two brothers growing up, I would have got my ass kicked a lot more. But Giorgio in that sense, he saw the potential, the, the, the raw nature in me and kind of let me stick around and hang out. Like, like other friends of his people like, God, why are you hanging out with Darren? He's an asshole. And he'd be like, no, he's not an asshole. He's right. And just because he's 19 years old and you don't think he should be right at 19 years old does not make him an asshole. You know, like I was ahead of the game, ahead of the curve on that. And he kind of kind of mentored me and looked out for me. But when it was time to to break break away and, and kind of walk for that and try to go out and do my own thing, you know, I knew it was time to put me into the executive producer seat and, and go with that. And um, here we are, you know, um, doing a thing. And not stopping by any means, you know, um, which is, it's exciting that, you know, having team members here, having team members around the world, working and growing that brand to again, make it that household name. And, and that would have happened in 2020 um, had that little thing not happened. We were, we had sponsors on board. We had one sponsor, just one sponsor. We just started our sponsorship rounds, one sponsor, three month job, touring the nation, 12 to 15 cities, doing events, celebrity DJs, street team with our mobile studio, preliminary numbers, quarter of a million to $300,000 for three months worth of work. Yeah, that was a huge, like we were like, yeah. And they're like, we're going to activate in August. So it was going to be like a a, a late, a late summer, uh, a late summer, like maybe late July, early August, late summer kind of thing, traveling to all these cities doing this and literally put me on the phone with the West coast marketing director. It was an alcohol brand that was just launching uh, nationwide. And he was like, yep, sign off. I'm good. Click. I'm like, here we go. And bam, shit gets shut down. I hope I can swear. Oh, sorry. And, oh, that was, yeah. Yeah. You call, okay. we, <laughs> we drink wine, you know, this is called a happy hour for a reason. <laughs>
Funny enough, if you go back, I just sent off an interview today. Uh, remember, I was telling you about that first episode we did at the DJ sessions, and my buddy comes over to the house with two bottles of wine. We actually called those sessions the Vino sessions. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So we would drink we'll drink wine. During the, what we do is he bring out a bottle of wine. We talk about the bottle of wine before the show, and then he'd do a guest mix. You know, that was kind of the concept of the Vino sessions. We get some. Hi, that's a weird. I wouldn't say weird ideas, but when you get it, when you're not answering to any studio execs <laughs> and you're in control of the programming and distribution, I mean, I've had the beats and eat sessions. We've had rooftop sessions. We got silent disco concert sessions, we got the mobile sessions, the secret sessions, the seven B's brunch sessions. We got the state of industry sessions. We got the VR sessions. <laughs> we got, I mean, a lot of different, like, if there's a way out yeah if there's a way out i'll turn it into an idea and make it into a show and say okay we're gonna put djs on this and then yeah it's like the concept could be a chef in the kitchen making making food beat the dj sessions presents beats and eats the chef's making food but we got a dj plan but you're watching the chef make the food and then we talk about each dish that he's making over the four-hour period and then and we have a big meal like we're eating throughout the show and then like boom here you go learn how to cook and get some good beats on and everyone's like, yeah, cool. I come up with some weird ideas. Now, Darren, <laughs> you, mentioned, you, you mentioned a lot about producing and executive producing. Could you explain a little bit of what exactly an executive producer is versus a <laughs> producer? And people definitely don't think of that when it comes to YouTube and podcasting. And they just grab a mic and go, you know, grab the camera phone, like you said, and just go. I'll tell you, the funniest thing is that there's a couple terms I heard. Uh, the first time I ever heard this term was in college and I was working on a project for the school and, uh, and somebody, my, my video production teacher, I was taking his class and I'm sitting there and I put my team together to do this project. This guy was the dev. This person was helping me do some of the filming and people were helping me do all this. And one of the people that was in charge of writing the check for the project for the budget for the project comes, looks at me and goes, so Darren, what are you doing in all this project? And the teacher, without missing a beat, I didn't even get a chance to answer. He goes, he does exactly what an executive producer does. He lets you think that he's doing the idea when everyone else is doing the idea for him. <laughs> but he takes credit for it. And I went, I went, motherfucker. <laughs> are you throwing me? Are you making a joke? Are you throwing me on the bus? Dude? Like, what's, you know, come on. Like, you're supposed to be my teacher teaching me this stuff. And then um, later on, you know, you kind of find out what does an executive producer do? And sometimes that can be entitled, like a producer, you have, there are definite, there are um, definitions, associate producer, line producer, you know, this producer, this, and there's, there's different, with an executive producer, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean, I just handed you over $10 million, I want an executive producer credit, or I am in charge of everyone that's coming and reporting to me, make sure production is going on. So I'm the executive producer in charge of production. Um, yeah, the exec I could have raised a bunch of money and I, I and got money for the show, not writing the check, but got money for the show. So I, you know, found financing for the show and got an exact credit on that. Um, but I'm the guy that everyone gets to look to when things go wrong. That's an executive producer, you know, the person in charge. And that's why, very early on, I was speaking about, you know, almost 22 years ago when I wasn't offered contracts, I realized the reason I wanted contracts for everyone is so nobody could place the blame on somebody and point the finger somewhere. 
You know, you go, hey, that wasn't our responsibility. It was that person's. They signed. That's their job. But with no contracts, well, how come you guys didn't know about that? What do you mean? We brought this person up. We did. They were supposed to be. Well, you should have known that they didn't know. <laughs> well, now you can show the pipeline or the paper chug going, hey, that's our art department. That's our lighting designer. That's our audio guy. You can see we did our job. And hey, it's not our fault. The audio guy didn't show up, you know, or, or the audio guy didn't tweak this the right way. Well, you guys know how to make shows. So it falls on you. It's your fault. No, there's clearly defined roles here. You know, or or if somebody else brought somebody into production and made them part of the team, and then that person screws up and said, "Well, it's your guys' fault." No, that wasn't our job. <laughs> you brought that person in, and they screwed up, and you hired them. So I uh, learned, like I said, very early on, putting things on paper, having things in writing. And my own team, I have a non-disclosure, personal release, code of conduct agreement, service agreement liability waiver form, accidentally liability waiver form, and probably one other thing that's in there. I used to have a non-disclose, or I used to have a um, uh, non-compete in there, but non-competes are really unenforceable in the state of Washington. Unless you're paying, unless they're an employee, you're paying them 100,000 a year, or if they're a general contractor and you're paying them 250,000 a year, you can't really enforce a non-compete. But, you know, I do that. And, and I was talking with somebody the other day and they're like, well, those are really non-enforceable. You're never going to take somebody to court. No, but I can definitely tell you why the fuck I'm not going to be working with them anymore because they broke my contracts and everyone knows me in the industry that I sign contracts. So if there's a reason why Darren isn't working with you anymore. It's because you probably breach contract. I don't breathe. I like working with people. I like making it a work environment, but if you didn't follow through or do something or you went out and tried to steal something from them or, duplicate you're like wait a second yeah I'm not, i don't work with negativity like that that's just kind of set a bar set a standard and i've had people literally say i, I don't want to sign your contracts like, i'm not working with you exactly. i mean i've literally had production companies like i walk in and say yeah you can any of these you sign this nda because i'm about to pitch to you my show They're like no we're not signing an nda with you I'm like well then i'm not pitching you my show so you can <laughs> run like, what the f-? Like, yeah i'm i'm that stupid right. Come on, you know, <laughs> they're no longer in business. They're no longer around. I am. Yay. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. The, the executive producer kind of is, is in charge, uh, you know, and, and then it goes down the line. And they have in the industry, you know, it's called above the line and below the line. And, you know, below the line, you kind of look at it as kind of the white collar workers and the blue collar workers, you know, and, and uh, you know, white collar workers are usually getting paid and a percentage points on the deal, you know, below the line, usually not so much. They're getting a day rate or hourly rate for their services they do. Um, you know, that's kind of the difference. Percentage points, usually back end points, all those points, all the all the points that we had money coming in that I should be making coming in would be you know, points. But I like to spread the love with my team too, though. I really like to take care of my team when we, when we can, you know, because this is all about making sure we're pushing our brand and what we do in the electronic music industry out there in a positive way. If somebody wants to come in and be a hater, they want to talk smack. I've seen it happen. I've seen the politics. I was actually in a three hour phone call with a guy last night who was kind of saying, I think this team over here threw their event on the same weekend as mine to try to yeah on my event. I'm like, do you know that for sure? Or was it just a weekend? 
Don't worry about them. Throw your events. Don't worry about them. Do good promotions. Do a good event. Don't worry about them. You know, you exactly. don't own the weekend. Nobody owns a day of the week. Nobody owns a genre. If somebody ever says, you threw a night and it's going to interfere with my night, you got bigger problems than that. Exactly. Because Netflix, I tell people all the time, when it comes to going out, Netflix is one of your biggest competitors. Hulu is one of your biggest. The TV is one of your biggest competitors. Or television or videos or movies are one of your biggest competitors for entertainment. And if you're worried about that, then you better be worried about Netflix, you know? And if you're in business, you would analyze that and say, hey, you might even change your marketing and say, tired of watching Netflix? Come to my event. Tired of sitting home and watching movies? Come out here and check out what we got going on. And then they go, you know what? I am tired of watching movies. I'm going out to an event. <laughs> right. Use the you, That's marketing. That's the psychology of marketing. But people, they don't teach that in grade school in high school and you got to take classes for it in college and usually people that are artists aren't taking marketing classes (laughs) they aren't taking business classes it's not what they really focus on and there that is the the you know i saw this gap a long time ago you had the artists in the industry you have the business people in the industry artists do not take accounting classes business people do not take uh art or music production classes usually just doesn't because the pathways that you have to do to get to the degree you're going doesn't allow for those extra credits to be there to get a, a rounded education or an understanding of the education, let alone neither of them ever teach the, the, the business side of entertainment either. There's not a lot of entertainment business classes out there. No. Um, so you got to kind of learn by diving into it. And you learn Z and then you learn Y and then you learn A and then you learn T and then you learn W and then you learn O and you're like, how does this all come together? Oh, I know the whole alphabet of this stuff now. You know, yeah. And then you become an executive producer. <laughs> Got it. Hey, Ali, keep it rolling, big dog. Oh, most definitely. So do you have any other business adventures you that, that that's in the mix that you are rolling with uh, on the verge about the release? It's funny that you mentioned the say use the word rolling. Is that what you said? Yeah, rolling. Yeah. Use the word rolling. Well, I do. And we run a company called I run another company called I Alternative Media. And that company focuses on outdoor or what we like to call guerrilla style marketing. So, you know, you have traditional marketing, radio, television, print. Um, now you have social medias in there as well. Um but when you went to more non-traditional advertising, is like your outdoor advertising, billboards, buses, those are still traditional forms. But I'm talking about the stuff that really catches your eye. Um, stuff like mobile billboard trucks, floating billboards, uh, street teams, um, postering, um, all these different kind of non-traditional forms of advertising. But our primary product is our mobile billboard truck. And I actually got the mobile billboard truck in 2010 after talking about getting it for three years from 2007 to 2010 to build the world's first ever live streaming mobile studio that I could pull up to events, park it in front of events, and then do my interviews with the DJs and have my studio and set back there. And then at the end of the night, I could shut the doors and go in and party. I didn't have to pick up gear and do anything. It was rolling. And then everyone saw it out in front of the club, lights, camera, action, rain or shine. 
we had a mobile studio on the go. You can go to our website today and see what that mobile studio has become. Uh, we, we primarily, the DJ sessions is iAlternative Media's number one client, but we can use it for other clients and do other jobs doing advertising with it. But we just bought a truck. We're moving in to the Aero, Phoenix, Arizona market, building out a, a brand new truck down there. We're super excited to launch it. So we're basically expanding the company now to not only be in the Pacific Northwest, but also in the Southwest. Being in Phoenix puts us a hop, skip, and a jump to LA and Vegas. So now we kind of have West Coast stuff going on. We're super excited. And when you said that we're, when you said rolling, I'm like, ah, oh, that's going to work perfectly. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. We actually, if you look at the truck up here, we have outfitted graciously by, by the graces of our sponsor, Mackie. They, in 2018, I put a sound system in it that you could, I used to roll around with a PA in the front seat with me and go deaf in my right ear. Then in late 2018, I put a, a pretty heavy sound system in. I put a, a sound system you could say you could hear from a city block away. Well, once we got sponsored by Mackie, they gave us a concert grade sound system. You can hear this thing from about four and a half blocks away now. Crystal clear audio. And it's become kind of this Seattle-like. For the last few years, we've been driving around. Um, during pandemic, we did a campaign called Boogie on Your Balcony. Hashtag Boogie on Your Balcony. And there was a banner on top. And we drive the truck around through the city streets with music playing. And then what, what the idea was to get people to come out on their balconies and kind of like, oh, it's the dancing truck. Look, it's dancing, dance. You know, <laughs> did that. and um, But it's become kind of this iconic Seattle thing that you don't see anywhere else. Um, most of these billboard truck operators are kind of on the older side of things. They want to get into the ad business. Here we come building this into a mobile studio. I mean, you can check out the episodes, check out the mobile sessions on our site. And uh, it definitely is a interesting, fun time of a show. Uh, people get a kick out of it, you know, and uh, I love it. It's one of those ideas I had, <laughs> you know, like, hey, yeah. With you being such an innovator, what do you think the streaming is going with the release of the new metaverse that everyone is talking about? You said my favorite keyword, my favorite keyword right now, favorite metaverse. I love the metaverse because we just launched two virtual reality nightclubs in alt space. And oh, wow. I'm a huge fan. Last year when I got my headset, I was having a conversation with somebody in 2020 about um, maybe... I think it was 2020, I was having a conversation about virtual reality. And I was saying, once the price point of virtual reality, once the headset price point comes down in price, we're going to see it be like the Nintendo or the Atari of our, of, of our generations of everyone's going to get one of these in their house. Because a lot of parents aren't just going to run out and buy their kid a $1,500 headset, a $3,000 computer to run this just so they can get online and then go, oh, I don't like it anymore. But Meta you know, coming out with the Oculus headset and they have a new one coming out later this year at the price point of $300. Well, anyways, I was in this interview saying that's when it's going to happen. A month and a half later, they said, boom, here's our new $300 headset. I hemmed and hoed and back and forth about it. Da, 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 da. My friend Rick came online one day and he had got one. He was playing online. I saw his videos. He was putting them on Facebook. I'm like, that sounds really cool. I get him on the phone. He goes, Darren, Go buy one right now. It's the best $300 you'll ever spend in your entire life. I went, what? And I'm like, okay, okay. But for whatever reason, the next like four to six weeks, whenever I left the house, 
to like, I'm going to Target, I'm going to grab one. They were sold out. I'm going here to get one. They're sold out. I'm going. But one day I just woke up. I went to the Amazon four-star store and they had like 10 of them on the shelf. Walked in, bought it, got it home, flipped it on. He said, don't do the tutorials. Don't do that. Let me take you into some really cool stuff. So he takes me into all space and some VR chat, some different places. I was hooked. And right from that moment, two days later, I went and bought my mom one. I bought my dad one. I'm like, you guys got to check this out. This is the best ever. So over that course of time, over um, last year, probably, oh, I want to say June, maybe this, I, I maybe bought it in April, I think. I want to say April. Because by June, I started saying, I want to figure out how to get a nightclub in here. I want to take my brand new website that I just built and I want to metaverse my website. I want something that's so kick-ass, so awesome, da, 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 boom, in the metaverse. So I got online. I went to the uni store. I found this really kick-ass build, beautiful website. And then I found out after everything I know about web development, everything I know about video editing, everything I knew about everything didn't mean shit. And it's not easy to do certain things in the metaverse. There is a, there's a learning curve. I understood the software, but even just getting the software to upload to where I wanted to go to, there was problems. And so I started going out to the community forums and saying, hey, can anyone help me? Hey, can anyone help? I started just look, I, I probably went through 75 devs online through, through, through a certain website saying, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And I said, okay, well here, Here's an asset from this. Upload it and show me that you can do it. You're not building it for me. You're not giving me any free work. I just show me you can do it. None of them would do it. None of them would come to a week and week. So they wanted me to start paying them to dev and then say, sorry, we can't do it. Like, fuck you. No, that's, I don't know. No, you don't go to a restaurant and have the chef say, I can make you a meal. And what do you want to eat? And then pay me. You pay the chef and then the chef goes, I'm sorry, I can't make that for you to eat. Can I get my money back? No, because you paid me to learn that I couldn't make that for you. That's what I'm like, what the fuck? What's going on here? So I, I had this really awesome build and it came around to about January this year. And this girl hits me up online. She says, hey, are you still looking for somebody to dev your, dev your project? I went, yes, I actually am. She says, okay, tell me a little bit about what you got. And I go, I got this build. It's this nightclub build. She goes, I think I know exactly which one you got. I said, oh, yeah. And I sent her a link to it. She goes, yep, I know this. I said, can you get it over here? And she says, yes, I can. Send it to me. I sent it to her. Within 24 hours, she had my build up in all space. I went, you are now my lead VR developer. And she started out her VR, AR, XR company. And I am all about the metaverse and jumping in there. So far, uh, so far down the path that I'm telling people, if you are not talking about VR with your brand today, see you later. See you later. Even if you got to have the discussion, you don't got to jump into it like I did and like, wee and jump right in and build the nightclubs and have the con. We have all our infrastructure ready to go with our show, the DJ sessions. It's just pushing our content into that medium. But if you're not talking about VR or even just going, okay, you know what? I'm going to go into alt space. I'm going to build something in alt space. I'm going to build something in VR chat. I'm going to go to Horizon. I'm going to look in it. I'm just going to put something in here. And on your website, you make that VR page 
that says, hey, here's a little information on, check us out in Horizon, check us out on Altspace, check us out on VRChat. And you're trying to brand in those spaces because it's not the web. The web, I put a WWW up, it's the web. We're all on the web. It doesn't matter if I'm hosting on GoDaddy, Blue Cloud Server, wherever I'm hosting, hosting, it's the web. Virtual reality, you can't, I have to put my build up and build it for here specific. Then I have to build it for here specific. I have to build it for here specific. And there might be different parameters to get it into each other. I can't take my build and put it in Horizon. I can take my build and put it in alt space. I can put it into VR chat, but the Horizon space won't look anything. And if I want branding, if I want to McDonald's this or Starbucks this, you know, you got to start thinking that level. So we're thinking when I started going down this process, it was our first nightclub we have in alt space. It's called beta nightclub. The reason it's called beta nightclub is because it's the first re- we aren't even on version one of what we want to do yet. This is beta. Wait till you see what happens with version one. What's going on? With, we're also having the talks of already making version two happen and what version three will look out. A few weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, I was on the phone with a lead developer. Uh, it turned out I didn't know who she was until I asked her. I thought she was just a friend of one of my DJ friends. Turns out it's, it's, it's his girlfriend and she's a DJ. Just found that out. So I'm going to show the other night. But she's on the she's a lead developer for Project Aria for, for Meta. Wow. And when I say lead developer, when I went to the page, she goes, yeah, that video, that's my boss. He's the one in control of the whole damn thing. Project Aria is not the Oculus. It's the, uh, it's the AR glasses that they're making. So we'll be able to see stuff projected in front of it. Like I do, compu- you got to look at it like this. I'm looking at you on a computer monitor right now. This five years gone. You will not have flat screen TVs or projectors in your home. You will sit down on the couch and you'll go, You'll put on glasses and you'll see the screen in front of you and you'll be able to go and dim that down and, and be watching your TV in front of you, you can walk around the house and your TV's playing you. And then you can expand that TV and go and make it a large screen TV in your living room. It's going to get to the point where we're going to have like Ikea furniture and it's going to be all the furniture is going to be white. But what you're going to do is you're going to map your entire house and you're going to be able to buy just like you buy skins and Fortnite and stuff like that. You'll buy different skins for furniture in your house. Then when people come over to your house, you can decorate your house and have a different looking house every time. But you'll have like this basic furniture that is geared to, to do this in AR. Man, it goes down the rabbit hole with this shit. And we are looking into it. <laughs> what ticker symbol should I be investing in? Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. I actually own three. It's uh, NVIDIA, Matterport, and um, shit. Hang on, I'll find out. I want to find out. I'll go to my portfolio right now. We give knowledge at this happy hour. Well, we 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 getting a lesson here. <laughs> no, I saw. We read an article last year, and even though the stock market is doing really crappy right now, it ain't gonna um, stay that way. But it ain't gonna stay that. Yeah, you wanted to be crappy. This is the time put money into it. Yeah, actually, you got a good point there. But you know, yeah. everyone's kind of like, oh, blah blah blah. But I learned a lesson 22 years ago. Watch this little story. I, I had, I had um, $10,000 that I got from an insurance settlement. And, oh, hang on. Let's try this again. Maybe they, I'll find this one for you. Hang on. I got to, there we go. Let's log in. 
Okay, I'm in. Give me two seconds. I'll get that in this few seconds. Wow, that investment is sucking. <laughs> Anyways, I like it. It's a that's all good. Discounting. Yeah, but um, but long story short, um, actually, let me see. Two seconds here. Let me see. Let's see balances. Yeah, I'm I'm down pretty. But okay, so the story goes like this. Okay, so it's Matterport, Nvidia, and Roblox. Roblox. Those three. There was a story that came out. You want to see what's going to happen with VR? You get those thoughts. Hold on to them now, and I'd buy them now because I'm losing my ass on them when I bought them last year. But I know hold. And the reason why is because back in 2000, it was 98, 99. I got this $10,000 settlement. I decided I was going to play the stock market with it. So I split it up into 3,000, 3,000, 3,000. I bought 3,000 shares of Amazon, 3,000 shares of Yahoo, and 3,000 shares of this little company that wasn't doing so hot called Amazon. Go back. Here's a calculator and just see what. $3,000 worth of stock of Amazon bought back in 1999 would be worth today. Yeah, buddy. But that money, what happened because the internet boom and all that was going, that $10,000 investment, I ended up making 50000 of it because stocks were splitting and everything was going crazy that time. But and Amazon had split again 20 to 1. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, oh yeah. So... Little disclaimer, we are YouTubers. We're not financial advisors. <laughs> Invest at your own risk, like I always tell you. <laughs> I can't give you financial advice. I'm a YouTuber, social media person, not your financial advisor. We're just talking and having a chat. Take it for what it's worth. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's, and I'm not a financial advisor either. I just read some stuff, but those are my picks, mm -hmm. and I'm going to stick with them. You know, I had I had some money come in and I said, look, I'm going to invest. I'm going to put this much in Bitcoin. I'll put this much in, in the market. And now I don't look at it. That was a difference between my 25-year-old me and my 48-year-old me, <laughs> you know. Um, I have another business venture that I'm going into. Like I said, we're launching into Arizona. You know, got stuff going on down there. Uh, so a lot of irons in the fire. But uh, as far as the metaverse comes, and live streaming, it's there. It's going to come. The, the one other issue is, is you know, it's 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 not. You can do the basics pretty easy, but when you want to get a little bit more advanced, this is where, like my friend Rick that got me into Oculus said, Darren, just pay the person, just pay the person. Research, find a good person. But I'd rather pay rather than me trying to spend forty to eighty hours trying to do something that somebody can do in ten hours. I, I pay her 65 bucks an hour. She's worth every penny. And I'd rather just say, here's 650 bucks. I'm like that. That's, that's the way. Thank I you. Thank you. That's, that's the smart. Yeah. I know a lot yeah. of times in my community, we try to do everything ourselves. And I've learned, even with this podcast, there's certain things, you know, that we discuss. It's like, well, we can, no, we can't. I don't do video editing. I don't do, it's not my profession. It's not my thing. <laughs> let's pay the experts and let's get it done. Exactly. Exactly. And my life has gone so much better once I've started to, to outsource things like my mobile app that we have, my VR nightclubs, my PR, my media outreach, my celebrity outreach, uh, website, dev, 
<laughs> I mean, it's it, and then again, even even my my DJs, my team, the the people that perform on my show, you know, it's and managing all that, and it just keeps going bigger and bigger. Um, the budget keeps getting bigger and bigger too. But you know, and what I mean, the budget, I mean the costs keep getting bigger and bigger, but it, it slowly stays at almost a one to one. It'd be great if. I had this company that was like Apple and we're just so cash rich and we can just throw money in development or do this there, but doing all this without the money in place and figuring out how to get things done without having a budget, I think is also one of the key successes because when we get that budget, we can look back and go, nah, we tried that out. I spent, you know, five months developing that. And if I would have had the money, I would have spent all this money developing that and would have spent a bunch of money that I now know I don't have to spend, you know? So yeah. um, again, like I was, I was telling another earlier podcast today in an interview, it's like, I don't need to go out and get 8K cameras or, or even like 8K red cameras or the best, the best, you know, $30,000 cameras to produce a podcast series. That's, that's ludicrous. I can get a 4K camera. I can, I can get, I mean, I look pretty great right now. At least I, at least I look great on my end. I hope I look great on your end. <laughs> You know, and a little $50 light and a, and a, a nice microphone. This is a $300 microphone. It's a nice mic, but you don't even have to spend $300 on a mic, you know? Now, Darren, as, as we come in, I always like to try to give a little advice for that person that may have gotten laid off for a job or, you know, down, don't make enough, underemployed. They have a job, but they're not making enough. And I know you hit on that. All they got is the cell phone and everything. What advice would you give that type of person that, like, like they just got a cell phone on them and they, they trying to feed their sales and they, they having problems for whatever reason they can't find a job. What advice would you give that person? You know, something I grew up with and it's kind of just true. McDonald's is always hiring. And what I mean by that, the statement is there's always something out there that somebody can find doing some kind of work. It may not be your, might not be something you like, might not be your trained profession. It might not be something you want to be in a career path of. I was on the phone today with my friend. She's in the pharmaceutical industry and uh, she just got promoted. She's making $25 an hour, but she wants to move to a different location. They aren't going to pay her to do that. So she has to drop back down and drop a position and go to $19 an hour. And she doesn't even want to be in the pharmaceutical industry anymore. She's like, I don't think this is for me. I want to do something else. I said, well, you know, McDonald's is paying 18 bucks an hour. She's like, well, there's no growth there. I said, yeah, but it'll get you out and do something. You can find something maybe closer to home, closer to you're not commuting 15 hours a week for a job that you don't like. You know, and I, it's just kind of the, there's always something out there. And this is a market right now where they keep saying this over and over again. The workers have the power. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely in that shoe. I, I see it out there, you know, all these companies hiring, 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 and people are not flocking to the jobs. And they're like, no, we know, we know how much you're making now. We're not stupid. Kick down some more money, you know? And um, this inflation thing that's going on, which is really just price gouging, in my opinion, is a joke. I don't think it's really that cool. And the problem is they will... They will, they, they have economists. They have people that'll push this to a certain point. They know what the breaking point will be. And they know when they start seeing sales, they go, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll sit here, but they'll keep going. They'll keep just pushing it up 
pushing up, pushing up gas prices, everything just because people still pay for it until people start fighting back. But then what happens is then they lower. Then the people start buying again and they start raising the price back up and lower. This is the law of economics, supply and demand. And people don't, you know, don't get that. And hey, just like what they found out, what happened, they say that in, in when you go to uh, rehab programs, that it takes 30 days to break a cycle. If you're drinking or doing drugs, 30 days, you break that cycle. And then if you don't go around the environment you're in, you, your chances of relapsing or not relapsing are pretty good. The whole world, or at least I don't know where y'all live, but at least in our state, we got two years of a cycle. There was no going out. I mean, restaurants, going out, all that stuff. So people found or their minds shifted going, I don't need to go to that nightclub anymore. Mm-hmm. I took up knitting. I, I found a new hobby. I like reading books because all that stuff, you know, it, it, the entertainment industry got hit so hard because they were the first ones to close down and the last ones to open back up. And people's mind, I mean, it's going to take a while for that to come back in play. And, and with adults, we're like, well, you know what? I, I didn't, I realized I don't miss that anymore. You know, the young kids, they'll be like, yeah, we want to go party. We want to drink, yeah. you know, but it'll take a, a time to reset back out of all of that. And so um, I think there's opportunity. I, people, there's jobs out there, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know what your job market's like, but if somebody has to earn a paycheck and it's going to be more than unemployment or their unemployment's run out, they could probably find something that's comparable rather than just sitting at home with their thumb up at their butt, you know, doing nothing. You know, there's, there, there's, there's businesses, there's side hustles, you know, shit. When I first moved to Seattle, when I first moved down here 20 years ago, I lived kitty corner, almost a block away from where I first moved into a loft. I had three jobs. Here you go. You're 26. You can do three jobs. Well, yeah, I worked. I worked at a hotel as a night auditor from 11 to seven, go home, sleep for two hours, go to the restaurant, work at the restaurant, the lunch shift and go straight from that shift right over to the arena and work the the basketball hockey games, get off there and go right back to the hotel. I would maybe get some days a week. I'd maybe get two hours worth of sleep. Why did I do that? I don't know, but there were jobs, you know, and you, you apply for them and, you know, they might say, oh, you're too overqualified. And okay, okay, well, or you're too underqualified, but um, you know, how, how do you use your mobile device? You said to get a job or, or is that. I what? said that's all you have is your, a mobile device. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you if you want to get down to it, my life hasn't always been so great in the sense of financial freedom and things like that, <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a point in the last few years that I was going to food banks. I was on food stamps. I was, you know, doing things to help look for ways to pay the rent, living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing how things were going, still trying to do everything I'm doing. But, you know, one, at one point my mom's like, why don't you go get a job? I have a job, mom. You know, I have a job. This is my job, you know, but some people that, that pressure might get to them, especially if they have a family or, you know, they have a significant other. Um, sometimes what I do could look like I'm just playing on the computer. And really, no, I'm, a, I'm running a damn corporation over here that I'm up at seven in the morning. Don't go to bed till midnight some nights. And I'm still or one in the morning. And I'm not, 
you're playing with your video editing. No, I'm not playing with my video editing. I'm editing my damn shows because I got to get these things done. Otherwise, I get backlogged and everything gets screwed up. So I have a, I have a good support team, a good, good, good team of people now around me that I'm excited to, to be around and grow with now. I've been through that, you know, so just making sure you find people that can support you. Um, but yeah, I think finding the job, you might not like it, but at least it's something it's going to put food on the table, you know, and, and I think that's a key thing is when it comes down to the three things, food, clothing, shelter, you know, you got it. You got to have those, you know, or what I like to now say, one of my biggest things is you got it in order to succeed. The one thing that I'm telling everyone, you want to succeed at something, you got to have stability. And if you don't have stability, exactly. it, it, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. It's hard to run a brand. I know what you're saying on that because I not get a lot of people like, well, you always out, you always partying, you always traveling. And they don't understand. It's like, sometimes I'm tired. You know, I'll get in. This is not fun out the while. <laughs> this is a burden. It's like, I don't come on here just, you know, like, as, as a hobby, this is a business trying to launch a brand. So I fully understand what yeah. you were talking about. Now, well, Dan, go ahead. I was going to say one of the biggest things that I learned is that the electronic music industry is known for partying, a lot of partying. And it's usually at nightclubs and going mm -hmm. out late at night. And my nights were, okay, I'd go out I'd get to the club and I'd do my thing. I'd be out till four in the morning, you know, doing shoot. If I was working, I'd be out till four in the morning. If I'm partying, our clubs close down at two o'clock, but I'm still home at three o'clock in the morning. And then of course I'm tired the next day. I'm drained because I've been drinking all night, doing whatever I was doing, you know, partying. And um, I learned that I, I wasn't getting old, but I took our brand and I said, you know what? I don't have to be in the nightclubs in order to do my show. I can do my show and I can start throwing daytime parties. So my rooftop parties are from 6 to 10 p.m. My, my silent concert, my, my mobile sessions are from 6 to 10 p.m. My, roof, my, my silent disco parties are from 11 to 3 in the afternoon. And these are things that you can still come and do, enjoy, be part of the music and go home. It's not catered to an older crowd, but I want to get home and go to bed, not because I'm old or maybe I want to go out and see a show. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily be working while everyone's partying, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be working when everyone's partying and I don't want to be at the party working while everyone's partying either. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I know that dynamic and that's, that's a hard thing because you want to be networking, but you got to look at, at what point I realized everyone that I wanted to contact, everyone I wanted to talk to, they were all online. They were all on Facebook. I didn't have to go out to the nightclub and shake hands with them anymore. I could say, Hey, I heard you're a DJ. Let's set up a conversation. I could have that conversation with them at six o'clock at night instead of, Hey, how are you doing? I'm yelling at you in the nightclub. You can't hear me. I can't hear you, but let's work together. No business happens really in the nightclub. If you think about it. Oh, my dad used to say, no business happens after the streetlights come on. Nothing good happens after the streetlights come on, you know? And Dan, so, I don't know if you ever follow any of our shows, but this is a question that we ask every guest. Yeah. What comes to mind when you hear After Five? Well, first of all, a new show that I'm going to start watching. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have a rule. What comes out, comes out, where are you located at? 
I am actually in Maryland. Drew's okay. in Atlanta, and Faye Fabo is in Florida. So we come together, and you're all, but you're all East Coast time. Yeah, we're all East Coast. So my five o'clock your time is like seven, eight o'clock your time. Yeah, that means when you're doing your show or after five, that means basically. Oh wait, no. If you're doing, do you do your show at five o'clock every day? Well, we air. We use we pre-record. So okay, yeah. okay. No, no, no. The reason yeah. I have a rule that I don't start drinking until after six p.m. unless I'm on vacation. So I think wine. I think chill. I think kick back. I think get to know. Kind of lounge. You know things. All the things I like to do. It's after five. I'm off the clock. Exactly. Except for this time, I'm, 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 I'm off the clock. But by my front door, I do have a clock. It sat there for eight and a half years, and it's always set to five o'clock because it's always five o'clock somewhere. If you know the country I song. Like <laughs> so this like is after it. five. <laughs> exactly. And that's typically when we post after five. Yep. You know, awesome. I want to thank you for coming on our show. It's been a d- delight and a pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it and, and hearing about it. Do you have anything as we uh, to take us out with? Oh, I want to thank you too, man. You dropped a lot of knowledge. <clears throat> Excuse me, a lot of knowledge on us, man. Thank and uh, especially for somebody who's getting inspired and you know, kind of wants to follow that path, they can understand the hard work that you did and the dedication that it takes to actually make it make it to somewhere like that. So that's I think it's awesome. Well, I do have an open door policy, and and you know, if you have any questions or anything I can help out with, I had to take it from ninety eight percent of my free information down to ninety seven percent in twenty twenty because everyone was asking me, and I said some of my competitors were asking me, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, you. you know, it's all good. But yeah, I'd love to collaborate with you and talk with you more. I'd, I'd, thank you for having, thank you for having yeah, me on the show. Yeah, yeah, stick on, stick on after. I want to talk. I'll let you for a few minutes after the show. That works. To the fans, to the listeners, again, every Wednesday, you know what time it is. After five, we bring a new show to you. You can catch us wherever podcasts are found. If you like our shirts, and you always see me on Instagram, TikTok doing something crazy, Facebook or whatever. You like our gear. You already know you can find it on Ali Apparel on Etsy. The website and the links are definitely going to be in the link. Also, we're going to have the... Uh, Darren's link also, and if you want to go to his website, check out some of those sessions. And those are hot too. I did, I did listen to one of them. Nice, go great with a bottle of wine. And like I said, after 2020, that's when the video DJ became hot. That was my nightclub. I got a few videos. You know, I almost burned down my house imitating bringing bottles in the club with sparklers and whatever. Listen to online DJs. So I encourage you to check out Darian. DJ Sessions and everything that he has to offer. And when we get more for me with the metaverse, which I am going to get those glasses, we're definitely going to check him out in the metaverse. <laughs> Any last words for us, Darren? Just go to our website, thedjsessions.com. All our socials are there. All our content's there. Tons of content, tons of guest mixes, tons of resident mixes. Our news section is phenomenal. Always on the cutting edge of curating it with what's hot, what's going on in the electronic music and the, almost the whole music industry. And um, soon to be this interview will be up there as well. Hey, we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. To next Wednesday, have a good night. Everybody stay safe.